four, three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. Dispatches, a production of Blur Bank, is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Dispatches. I'm in Portland, Oregon today. Beautiful Portland. It's 90, going to be 97 degrees, I think, today. And I'm with Miles Hazelhorst, who's the owner of Ampersand, Ampersand Gallery and Fine Books. How are you doing today? Good, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so we met a couple of years ago. I was here with Darius in town. I don't remember what we were doing. I think we were doing something at New Space. A That's right. You guys gave a... a informative lecture about publishing at New Space. Oh, there we go. And it was pouring rain, and I remember coming over here at night and walking in here and thinking, God, this is such a fantastic place. Uh, wonderful. Tell us a little bit about this place and how it came about. Um, yeah, so we, um, we're a storefront gallery space um, and uh, a bookstore that sort of focuses on design and photography books. Um, we opened in 2008. Uh, prior to that, I was you know, I've been in the book trade for a long time, first in Seattle um, at Elliott Bay Book Company, which is pretty famous, you know, general bookstore. Um, then I started working in antiquarian books, and um, I bought and sold antiquarian books and ephemera and vintage photography for a number of years out of a home office, um, which was great. I really enjoyed doing it, um, but there was a lack of engagement, you know, with a with a public. Um, so that sort of inspired me to figure out how to open a storefront. It's something I'd always wanted to do. Um, so I, I, when we first moved to Portland, I found this small little storefront on Alberta Street and decided to open it. And it was, you know, it was like early 2000s that I got into the book trade. It was right when uh, the internet started um, taking over in terms of you being able to find books readily. So it was good and bad for me in the sense that um, it taught me how to specialize. It taught me that if you want to make it in this trade, you have to be very specific in what you do. So from the very beginning, the focus was uh, books on visual culture, and then we had um, you know a gallery program from the start as well, where we we had monthly exhibitions. So, doesn't it sound funny to talk about coming up and living through the the beginnings of the internet? Because it's not something I think about a lot, but it had it has it's such a monumental impact on the world. Yeah, no, I feel you know I'm I'm thirty almost thirty seven, and when I went to school, college that is, um, it was the first time I'd ever used email. You know, it was it was a in that four years of of my education, it was a transition from not having had that mm -hmm. type of internet you know connectivity to it just starting to emerge. Um, I feel fortunate in that it allowed me to be very much immersed in literature from the point of view of handling and holding books right. um, and doing research in a very sort of organic way. Um, and yet, as I sort of came into my career, the tools of social media and the internet have obviously helped me as an entrepreneur. I mean, even just when I started in 2008, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't Instagram. But yeah. now if you open a business, you can get a following almost immediately if, if you do it correctly, you know, sure. which is really interesting. So, I graduated college in 92, and I missed sort of the digital, uh, digital happening by a semester. Yeah. And I remember taking uh, the book design class, and I had a T-square and tracing paper, and we had to design a book cover for Last of the Mohicans. 
and I remember to, you know, the press on type and my T-square and tracing paper. And then at the end of the semester, the instructor walked us over to this room that was locked and had one of those narrow windows with the sort of uh, wire mesh in the glass so that you couldn't break in. And it was a room full of Mac workstations. And he, he was like, you don't touch anything. <laughs> and he said, but that's the future oh, wow. right there. And yeah. I was like, oh, one semester away. Yeah. What is it about visual culture and books that going back in your history, why did, why did you think that sparked your attention? Um, you know, I, as a teenager, I, I discovered um, reading. And for, for me, from the very beginning, the experience of, of reading was, was also handling the book and being attentive to the way, you know, the book was designed. You know, for, you know I remember reading sometimes A Great Notion by Ken Kesey and uh, the cover design of that particular edition happens to be my favorite. There's some terrible ones afterwards. And then also the experience and the excitement and the energy of walking into a bookstore mm -hmm. knowing that I was going to pick out a book that I had wanted to read. Um, yeah, so from the very beginning, that, that experience of reading led, led to an obsession with books as objects. Um, you know, when I when I went to school, I studied literature and creative writing. I would also go out to garage sales and I would buy books, and then I would take them to to use bookstores to trade for what what I wanted to read. Smart. But then I actually got good at it and was able to trade it for money. You know, and and that sort of led to this culture of of me finding things and turning them over, you know, and then sort of building on, on that. And I think the process of trying to, tr trying to find something as a commodity leads you to also, as if, you're, if you're curious, it also leads you to discovering all sorts of weird visual ephemera that you, you never even existed. Or, sure. So that's what I also started looking for. So just strictly speaking with, photo I studied photojournalism, strictly speaking about photographers, what is it about the book or getting a book that has such a hold on every single person who picks up a camera with intent? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's the idea of a, an imagined audience, you know, an audience that you don't know exists. You, you know it exists, but you don't know who exactly is going to ultimately hold that book, you know. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have an exhibition, um, you, you can theorize who might come to the gallery space and the duration that they, they might come because, you sure. know, exhibitions tend to have a set number of days. Whereas there's this idea that if the book is done right and if it takes off culturally, it can end up being this sort of talismanic thing that, that lasts forever you know sure. they just the new york times just recently wrote about robert frank and the americans and how influential that book was and you know that that was produced what four decades five decades ago so yeah. um but you know the other interesting thing was I, th I think a lot of young creative people photographers they there's when i ask them there's the desire to make the book but i ask them you know wh what what is that desire? Where is it stemming from? Why are they yeah. doing it? And oftentimes they don't have an answer, which I find curious. Yeah. I think it's just that maybe it's the process. Maybe seeing your images printed on paper and bound in a book, there's something almost holy about that. You know. I, I think it's a, for me, it's a combination of things. It's about being chosen. 
It's yeah. be, you know, they look and think, well, if a publisher believes that this is good work. Yeah, form then, of validation. Yeah, I get validated, I get chosen. I also think, depending on the age of the photographer, I think there's a fame aspect of being like recognized and known as an artist. And I think the younger the artist, the, the shorter that timeline has become. I was just having a conversation with a person that I went to school with and I graduated in 92, photojournalism. We never once ever had a conversation about being successful or being famous or like making a living. We were all, none of us thought we would ever actually be able to make a living as a photojournalist. We thought we would do that, but then we'd do something else on the side. And I've seen that definitely change. I think artists are getting out of school now and they're like, hey, I can get, I can be relevant. And I think it's because you have access to the world now through, through the internet. But I, I still think it's that sort of validation is the driving force. Yeah. I think that validation too plays into um, a desire to be part of a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many different communities around, different communities around the, uh, the idea of the book. And I think you, um, if you go to the LA Art Book Fair or the New York Art Book Fair um, or Off Print Paris, they just recently did one in London, a number of these fairs, you you begin to see that as well so um if you create a book suddenly you're part of this this larger community or set of people sure and then you also have like a festival um where you can almost set the deadline and release this idea this this space where there's a lot of um like-minded energy um so it, it's really remarkable what uh, printed matter has done with those two fairs in the sense that i think a lot of smaller independent book publishers almost set up their publication schedule for those for those events mm-hmm. because there's there's just the um tangible energy there around around the idea of creation and the the idea of uh, visual content in the way that it is produced in a book format. It looks like I might get to go to Off Print Paris this year. Oh, cool, yeah, great. We're gonna be in uh, in Paris doing a road show and a, and a project that we're working on right now uh, with Ron Haviv, the photojournalist. It's called oh, The Lost Rolls. But anyway, that's gonna be in New York and Paris, and so I'm hoping, maybe I hit the New York Art Book Fair too. So you've been at, the, at this space now for seven or eight years. Is there any major things that you, any surprises or things that you learned and said, wow, this is a little different than what I expected? Or any, any sort of monumental uh, eye-opening things that have happened? Um, geez, that's a good question. I'm trying to like quickly summarize in my mind eight years of experience. I mean, just more recently, I, I would say uh, just it's almost as if you sort of have to redefine yourself now every every few months, every year or so, mainly because uh, the way that people engage with physical spaces, retail spaces, or you know even engage with books, it, it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a culture emerging of of just flipping through something, um, and that's enough. You know. They don't, they don't have to be fully immersed in something or taking a picture is um, substituting as a form of ownership. Um, and of course, a lot of the people that I do business with on a regular basis, in addition to having a desire to look at photography, there's also like a really strong desire to collect mm-hmm. and, and own things. Um, and I sometimes wonder if if we're, as a society, sort of shifting a, away from that as well. Like you know, collect, collecting books or collecting art maybe isn't yeah. as important. But, you know, then I'll open the door on a Saturday and, and I'll have, you know, five or six wonderful experiences that kind of completely changes my mind. Sure. Um, 
Well, I think I think it's gotten narrow. I totally yeah. agree. I think that the photo, in terms of you know, that's become an, an experience that represents something else. But I think it's really exciting to me to see young kids come in and want to collect. And yeah. it's the same thing with like listening to vinyl and people collecting vinyl and playing turntables. And even kids now going back into schools and saying, oh, you guys don't have a wet darkroom. I'm not going to school here. You right. know, I grew up with a mobile phone in my hand. It's not new. It's not interesting to me. But what's interesting is like processing a roll of Tri-X. Right. And there's, exactly. not, there's not millions of these kids. There's a small group, but they're die hard. Yeah. And it, it is pretty exciting to see that. No, I agree. Um, so, and also, you know, a space like this definitely requires um, a, a cultural dialogue. So, you know, you have to be part of a community um, where where people talk about what you're doing. And um, the interesting thing about Portland is we don't really have much critical art dialogue here. We, you know, we have a few papers, but you know, nothing like the major cities. So, in the in the past several years. I would say that about 70 or 80% of, of the business that I do and the, the people I engage with are actually people from outside of Portland. Um, and I didn't expect that either. And so it's, it's weird. It's almost as if this physical space is serving the local community. I definitely want it to, to do, do so. But a lot of my people that I, that I engage with regularly are people that I've met, you know, mm. at the art book fair or, or, you know, elsewhere, you know, and so even though they've never been to my physical space, they are, you know, customers of mine, which is also very interesting. And maybe that has to do, again, with the connectivity of the Internet, like we were talking about earlier. So you're also, uh, you're an imprint, you publish as well. Right. Is there any particular kind of book, genre, style that you look for? Uh, in terms of, like, what we publish? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, you know, again, like that's that's a difficult question to answer because it, it since we're also a gallery space and we're we're working with artists on a regular basis. I hesitate to use the word represent, but there's a number of artists that like we we have repetitive exhibitions and you know, we're constantly in dialogue about their creative process. A lot of the books emerge from that collabor that collaboration, not necessarily as like a catalog for an exhibition, mm -hmm. but if we're planning an exhibition, sometimes we'll have have a book that coincides with sure, it. So, sure. um, oftentimes it's less about like choosing specific ideas or types of material, and and more about creating sort of a platform around in which we can sort of fit in ideas. So we just recently started a series called Pattern. Okay. Um, the first one was uh, was just published with a German artist, Christoph Rukrabele. He made some wax pastel drawings, and they're all patterns. And they, okay. they have a number of people sort of interacting with each other. And the idea behind that is that we just invite um, artists, thinkers, creative people to basically either create patterns or talk about them, photograph them. Um, so again, just that, that one simple word creates a platform where it's a creative space that I'm basically allowing the artists to do whatever they want. Okay. Um, that's one example of what, we, of what we do. So a few years ago I was on, well, this is actually going back many years now, but I was, on, uh, I was at a panel at a photo festival and it was a publishing panel. And someone said, uh, hey, if I self-published a book and sold, you know, X amount of copies, does that eliminate my chance of doing that book with a publisher? And at the time, the panel was like, hmm, you know, how many books and what market? And, you know, eh, it's like a borderline. Five years after that, I was on the same panel, 
and the same question was asked, and one of the publishers who was on the prior panel was asked the same question, and he said, I wouldn't consider publishing your book unless you can bring an audience that right. will buy it. So the fact that you've already sold these books is a really good sign to me, and yes, now I would consider doing it. So when you publish someone, is it critical from your perspective that they're bringing an audience for the book, or, or would you publish someone that's completely unknown? Uh, I would... I would publish somebody that's completely unknown. That said, um, you know, there's a lot less financial risk involved in the way that, that we publish books, you know, and we also have the platform and the gallery and, mm -hmm. and the bookstore to sort of bring in an alternative income. So if it were like a purely economic thing, then I would maybe be a little more reluctant to do it. But it's interesting that you bring that up because, um, you know, if I look back at the last five projects that, mm -hmm. that we've done, um, you know, the books that are most successful in terms of sales tend to be by photographers or artists who do have a rather large, like, social media following. Sure, so, like, sure. for instance, they'll, they'll say, hey, I've got this new book out through their Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, oh, and, yeah. and then suddenly we get a ton of orders, you know. Um, but that's, that's just how it works. And it's also, you know, if you, if you can get it into the hands of the, the right, the right um, critic or the, the right person who will say something about it on an influential Reviews. blog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, that's the other thing about having a publishing imprint is half of, the, half of the task is discovering the work, conceptualizing the book and getting it printed and design, you know, designed and, and making a quality product. The other half is production. And usually it's, it's funny, I hate to admit this, but by the time, by the time I actually get the project done, I'm, yeah. I'm like so out of energy that, yeah. that the promotion is, is like a secondary thing. And that might just be, you know, my nature too, but that's a huge part of it that a huge. lot of the young, these young artists forget is, um, is that once it's exists, you have to promote it. You've got it. Yeah, absolutely. And the production side, too, depending on how it's done, can be monumental as well. So Yeah, I think what it is is once you get your, your, your sort of feet in, in, into the water, you've, you forget, like, oh, there's so many possibilities. There's so many papers. There's, you know, uh, what type of printer am I going to use? You know, th yeah, there's a lot of decisions to be made. And, you know, the first book that we made in 2011 was terrible, you know, and it, um, I never, I never, said to myself, I'm going to take a class or whatever on how to do this. It was all kind of trial by error. And yeah. I'm, I'm still learning, you know. I think that's the fun of doing it. Um, and that's the thing, that, part of the reason why, um, like you said, the idea of working with somebody that's unknown is appealing because then it, it's, it creates one more challenge in the process. Having done it for several years now, would you say that the gallery side or the publishing side provides the, the sort of difficult... Which, which child is, is a little more unruly? Would it be, is it harder to manage a gallery side or harder, harder to manage publishing? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I would say, I would, from my own perspective and, and the way that I run my business, I would say they're, they're sort of equal. Um, you know, the nuts and bolts of it um, tend to be easy. The thing that is difficult for me is making decisions. Um, worrying whether or not what the decisions I'm making are culturally relevant. Um, does it, does this show need to be, you know, put into the world? Does this book need to be made? Um, if I do lose sleep, that's kind of 
where I, the reason why. Those are hard questions. Yeah, and yeah. and I and maybe uh, maybe I'm different, and like those questions are very important to me. Whereas maybe I should be making those decisions based on like the pure economics of it. But I tend to to hang shows that you know are difficult to sell. I don't I don't know why. Um, but I I want the show to be as much about about ideas as mm-hmm. like just the sellability of, of what, what we're putting out there, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. I think that's one of the things that sometimes gets lost in the, in the gallery conversation is that the galleries have an overhead. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, in, an, in the audience at a panel in L.A. with gallerists and someone said to one of them, who's a very famous guy, what, what does it take to get a show at your at your gallery and he said $35,000 a month is my overhead so can <laughs> yeah. you sell and people were sort of up in arms about that but it's true you know yeah. he's in business to sell and so when you look at the shows that he sells he's doing exactly what you're doing he's just counterbalancing them he's doing shows that sell like crazy and then he's doing shells that are culturally really important and need to be seen but might not necessarily pull the kind of things in so it's a balance yeah and I think that you know go, going back to one of your previous questions like w- one of the things that I've been surprised at having a business like this is that um, there's this maybe an, an assumption and I, I don't know why it's maybe it's just a generalization that like gallerists or bookstore owners or whatever like like they don't um, they're trying to like capitalize on on art but really we're not you know we're we're trying to be purveyors and distributors of artistic ideas but that just like anything whether you have a shoot company or you're you know have a car wash or whatever it takes a certain amount of overhead um that yeah that we all have to sort of realize so th- that is a challenge and um the other th- interesting thing about books too like there's this this idea of uh, a, a strong desire to have books in our culture and a strong desire for people to make them um, but I do think that the desire to be in bookstores has sort of diminished, and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know where that comes from because bookstores, at a, at a certain point in, like, let's say the 20th century, like the early 20th century, they were very key and instrumental in terms of like, you know, moving ideas. Not sure. only just in terms of like literature, but also major, you know, artists were engaged with bookstores and things like that. And that that sort of dissipated a little bit. That said, you know, like printed matter in New York is mm-hmm. is moving into a, a, a big, space. big space. Yeah. yeah. And you know, like you know, places like Dashwood and Arcana and like they're they're instrumental in in their their cities for the service that they provide. Um, so if I'm if you eliminate a lot of years off of my life, you go back and I'm 16, and I come in here and I say, Miles, I want to be a really successful photographer, and I want to do a book in a gallery show. What which side of that equation would you suggest that people attack first? Because a lot of times people will say, to your point earlier, oh, you want to have a gallery show. Well, if you're going to have a gallery show, then you should have a book that coincides with the show. And I think sometimes when I talk to young photographers, especially before they've even made any photographs at all, they're already contemplating the decision of what gallery, what publisher. And I've always thought, well, forget about that. You get to focus on making the best work you can, but I know that that's not, it's not realistic anymore. Yeah. Um, What do you, how do you see that? If someone, young person came in, what would you suggest first? I mean, to me, I know what I, how I would respond to this, but I'm I'm curious (laughs) knowing what it takes to put a book together. Yeah. Um, Oh man, it's that's a difficult uh, answer or question to answer. Um, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, it's early. I'm torturing you. Yeah, exactly. No, um, 
I don't know. I mean, they're they're both interesting. I I, I will agree with you that, that obviously the focus should initially just be on be on the work. But I think also as as you're making the work, you should um, or a potential artist should be thinking, you know, who is the ultimately the audience? Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously a, a gallery exhibition um, is wonderful because it. I mean, I, I've never done it myself. I mean, every month hanging a show, I sort of get that sense of coming up with an idea and having it on the wall. But ultimately, it's the artist who has that experience on opening night. And sure. I, I could see how that would be uh, something to desire for. Uh, I'm really not answering your question. It's, no, no, it's, I, it's a tough question because for me, I look at it strictly from a logistical standpoint and I say gallery, just do the gallery show. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about major, you know, whatever gallery major city huge deal i'm just talking about the fact that you can six images can in some places make up an exhibition you know? yeah and and there's 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 all types of galleries you know like a little artist run space um, that, that's and here right. you know here in portland um it seems like there's you know a new artist space popping up every couple of years and you know they tend to last a very short time but when when they are here they do amazing things because again there's sort of like a less less pressure you know the motivation is literally to have the work on the wall and to share it and have a dialogue about it so yeah in in that sense logistically you know especially with with photographs you know like we're showing in in september an exhibition with a la-based photographer tara kranyuk and there's a lot of work and of course we'd love to frame it and have it beautiful yeah uh, in that sense but ultimately, we're just gonna we're 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 just going to put the prints on the wall mm-hmm. um, because the it, the work fit it, it the prints work that way. Right. Um, but it's also just an easy easy solution for for that particular project. You know. Sure. I mean, so, framing is crazy expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about this earlier. I think maybe even before the uh, before the recording. But it's it has the age of the instant had a positive or negative impact on what I'm calling considered work, which really when you have, when you put work on the wall and when you, when I look, walk in here and I look at the books on your shelves, these are, this is seriously considered work. This is not work that happened by accident. These books are designed by professionals. Everything is done very specific. And ultimately the goal is to get someone to come in and really stop everything else that they're doing in the world and consider what it is that they're staring at. Yet we now live in a, in a world where we're filtering everything through a mobile phone and looking for constant, you know, sort of approval and feedback. Mm-hmm. How is that, has it had a positive or negative impact on this kind of work? Um, I, you know, both. I, I think in terms of it being positive, um, you know, you can engage with, with a huge audience immediately or vice versa. I, as, as a consumer of visual content and material, I can find, you know, amazing artists that I'd never even dreamt of, of discovering. But then that also poses a challenge in that I only have 12 months in the year to hang an exhibition. So I have to make choices that way. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that people are having a hard time slowing down and and looking at things you know i i witness it every day just in the space people will be flipping through a book with one hand and texting or or looking at their phone with another and you wonder um how engaged they are with that book and i i 
I've been coming up with a number of different analogies, but it's interesting how books and movies are somewhat a little different. Like you would never watch a movie trailer and feel that you had had watched the entire film or mm-hmm. felt felt that you had been immersed in it. You would watch the movie trailer and then you'd feel compelled to go watch the movie and you'd sit through a two two hour three hour movie. Um, books, on the other hand people get a satisfaction or they feel like they've experienced it by just flipping through a few pages and then walking away, Mm -hmm. especially with photo books. But something really magical happens when you go home, put on a little bit of music, you know, pour a beer, whatever it might be, and spend 45 minutes with one book. And like you said, really um, contemplate all of the the consideration that somebody put into not only making the images, but choosing Mm -hmm. the typeface, the materials, the size of the book. Um, I think all of that is what makes a photography book special. It's, it's the really, and I tell that to people, they're like, well, why have you chosen photography books as your specialty? And I said, well, initially I had an interest in photography, but it's also tends to be, um, there's a harmony between book design and Mm -hmm. the imagery when it's done well. Um, and you can't just glance at that. You have to spend time with it. Um, you know, I'm a victim of it too. I feel like I've even, my brain is moving at a quicker pace. You know, I'm filtering through things a lot quicker now. So I think it's just a symptom of, of constantly being on our devices that are sort of set up for short form experiences or short term experiences. I sort of, I had the other day I was on a train in Southern California, which is not something you could say a whole lot. Uh, (laughs) And I was on a train and I got, I was sitting next to a 17 year old kid who was really smart and he was studying medicine and he was sort of in this advanced program. And we were talking about music and books and I said something about um, listening to an album and he said, you know, well, why on earth would anyone want to do that when you've got this, you know, he's ripping through songs in his phone and he's like, you know, I don't even listen to full songs. I listen to 10 seconds and then I go to the next song and the next song. And I said, well, one of the things that I really love about an album is you're getting the music in the order that the artist really wanted you to hear it. Right. And you're also getting the art that came with the album. And he got really quiet and he sat there for a few seconds and he goes, God, I never thought of that. I never had any idea that that's why they you know, it was, it was presented that way. Yeah. And I think books are very, very similar. I do a lot of talks for blurb and I, people will come up and say, well, you know, I've got 150 photographs that I want to put in this book or a hundred photographs. And I just tell people flat out, no one is going to look at that. Yeah. I said, your best friends probably won't. The people that you think are so into the same things you are, the odds of getting them for a hundred photographs are pretty slim. Yeah. So having said that, there's a pretty amazing range of, of trim sizes and books in here. But one thing I've noticed in the past few years is a lot of smaller zine style, craftier kind of books have really done well. And I think that because of this sort of short attention thing, they've become even more relevant than they've ever been. How do you feel about that? Uh, I, I agree. Um, you know, I, in terms of the creative process, and I think that a zine or a small paperback book um, is a good place to start, um, not only in terms of it, of, it, of it having a sort of integral beauty to itself, but also it's just the process of, of making a 12-page zine and, and, again, like spending time with your work in a different way, mm-hmm. thinking of it in a different way to produce something. Um, that's important. And then as a consumer, it's also nice to be able to like walk into a room and, and be able to pick up a number of different ideas 
and have them laying around at your house and you can just pick them up and quickly look through them and sure. um and they tend to be the the edits tend to be really smart too because you have to you have to you have less room to work with you know um when we first started publishing books uh we tended to publish smaller paperback books that had visual content for a couple reasons mainly because i was a paperback reader and i, I love the design of paperback fiction um and i wanted I wanted the people that I, my imagined audience, I wanted them to sit down and feel like they were, they were kind of reading a book rather than have this like large 11 by 14 inch, you know, right. cloth covered thing that it's so impossible to look at sometimes. Um, but there was also like an economics to it too, you know, um, a five by seven inch book fits, fits on a sheet four times and yep. you can, you know, you can get an idea out in the world for a very, um, small, you know, relatively small amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, it, in terms of the way that people are, are consuming it, um, I think there's also this like energy, but they tend to be small editions. So there's this, there's this excitement to, to get on board and, and, and order it before it goes away. It's yeah. interesting because they are, um, small editions, you know, again, it sort of cuts out the need for a bookstore. A lot of a lot of the way that these are traded are through internet sites or through like book festivals. Right. There's uh, a Zine Fest going on. Yeah, exactly. Zine Symposium today. Yeah. Here in Portland. Uh, do you have any? Uh, well, first of all, how many? How often do people come in here with self-published books and say, "Hey, Miles, can I sell my book in your store?" You know, it happens on occasion, and uh, and I'll. This is a difficult question to answer in terms of like how many do I take in, uh, and oftentimes it, it, the decision is based on as much as who the person is and the energy that they're broadcasting, mm-hmm. as it does like what's actually in the book, um, and it's the same it's the same way with the the way that I have a work, working relationship with artists that you know we ultimately hang an exhibition, just because an artist is really good yeah. doesn't mean that you can work with them. You know, there, there, there might be a personality issue that, ju- that sure. just doesn't work. Um, but yeah, it happens often. You know, the other interesting thing as a bookseller that, that sometimes has been, I've been confronted with is books that have been published through like Kickstarter campaigns. Sure. And um, I, I'm, a, I, I'm in favor of the idea of risk. So I, I would rather, I believe in risking your own money and, and creating something and then having it decided whether or not it's worth purchasing yeah yeah but but the other the other issue with the bookstore is the assumption is is that everybody that already wants it has purchased it through the kickstarter campaign so does it need to then be also in a bookstore you know interesting those those types and that might just be like a theoretical like question mark that i have um so well it's it's exploding i mean i was saw something the other day about the number the thousands of publishing projects that were attempted and then fulfilled through kickstarter it's incredibly high i mean it's it's landed for sure i think it also has something to do you know going back to this perception that galleries and and bookstores are are trying to sort of capitalize on creativity when you when you support a, a kickstarter program not only are you getting a book but you're also um, you're also sort of participating in a in a the creative process by supporting mm-hmm. it financially. Um, so in that sense, there's an element of charity, or um, that might be the wrong word, but collaboration maybe. Yeah, financial yeah. collaboration. You're investing in an idea. Um, but it's interesting how how a lot of people are willing to spend you know contribute seventy five dollars 
on something they haven't even seen or mm-hmm. touched. Mm-hmm. And then, and then to then as an alternative to be able to go into a bookstore like this, and you're confronted with like literally a thousand books, and you you have seventy five dollars in your wallet, you can choose which one you want. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm probably biased, but I would rather do that, you know. I would rather do that too, and I, but I think it speaks to a really important point about what you said in terms of when someone comes in, let's say I come in with a self-published book and I'm a complete douche, and you're yeah. like, God, this is a great book, but I don't want to be anywhere near that guy. Yeah. Whereas with Kickstarter, and I think this speaks directly to social media, is that people are in love with an idea of who someone is. Yeah. And so they see the Kickstarter thing and they think, well, that guy's like a famous documentary photographer and boy, if I support, then it kind of makes me a little bit closer to yeah. that community. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like you can post something on Facebook and within a second and a half, you're getting likes, which means that the person never even looked at what it is you posted. They looked at your avatar and said, oh man, I love Miles. He's cool. Whatever he's doing is cool. Boom. And I'm going to like that. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think for me, it's like coming into a store like this and getting my hands on it is a really important, important thing. Although having said that, I support Kickstarter things more than I probably no, should. No, I, I do as well. I, I was mainly talking about it, though, from the point of view of, of if, you do, if you do choose to finance a book project as a young artist through Kickstarter, you have to be aware that, you know, with it comes certain types of consequences. You know, you have the book done but you've maybe eliminated your audience other than the people mm-hmm. that have supported it that, that's a that's a realistic possibility you know sure um, I, and I think part of creating a book obviously is broadening your audience um, so but and again that requires a different type of risk um, I think logistically too some sometimes it gets lost on Kickstarter the amount of post-production you've got on the on the back end in yeah. terms of, of fulfillment number one and I have a lot of friends who've gone down that route and, and have gotten funded and ultimately it's, it's worked out, but most of them have come back at some point in time and said, oh my God, I'm so far behind with like, you know, what I, what I promised on these, on these lists. I think the simpler ones are the, are the better ones. Yeah. So I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico part of the time. So I'm kind of partial to a couple of the small publishers that oh, yeah. are out there. Uh, Radius, Twin Palms. I, I really like both of those. Are there any publishers that you always keep your, your eyes on? Or do you, do you envy, you know, looking out like secretly, I, I wish I was publishing what these guys are publishing? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a number. Uh, Radius actually is a, is a good example. They do things really interesting with the, the projects that they publish and also the, their design elements. They did a book called, I think it's just called Black Dolls which is a collection, their photographic collection of a woman's collection of, of antique dolls. And just a little detail in the book is the, the cloth wrap, they decided to sort of leave it unfinished. So the, it's at, like unraveling a little bit, yeah. just like a doll would be. And like you, you won't notice it unless you take the jacket off. Um, but you know that's a that's a good example of of what a publisher can do mm-hmm. with the material. Um, there's an interesting publisher uh, in New York called Sun uh, Sun Editions. They're okay. somewhat new. It's kind of a collaborative uh, public. It's small in print. Um, uh, Aaron McElroy, who we work with, is part of it. A guy named Charles Johnstone, Bill Sullivan, and they're interesting because they they have a number of different projects, but uh, in terms of like the diversity of the photography that they're publishing, um, but they're they're also playing around with with materials, um, 
binding. Mm -hmm. um, they're not afraid to like run something on a Xerox machine, and yet it still looks really cool. Um, you know, everybody, when when you publish a book, they're like, "Did you run this offset?" And you're like, "No, it's digital. It's just as good." You know, they none of those questions are a concern to them, mm -hmm. um, and they're also keeping everything done in the states. That's part of the adventure of of publishing a book is like finding the best deal on on printing and finding sure. so you know recently they had a book print the sheets printed in in the east coast and then i work with a book binder out here called grossenbacher they're actually not too far from the gallery so they shipped everything out here and had it bound and then shipped back which theoretically would be more expensive but it ended up you know in terms of quality it ended up being better and it was also um i'm kind of going off track but i that's okay. That's what we love here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, yeah, I mean, I, I I tend not to like isolate specific publishers. I'm, um, but I am looking for uh, publishers who are doing interesting things. There's um, one one trend that I've noticed recently. Maybe it's not even a trend. Maybe I'm just sort of drawn to it. But there there's a lot of smaller um, imprints that have originated sort of out of graphic design firms. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of them is, uh, editions do leak, um, and they, they do uh, quite a few interesting books, but like, that's like a side project for a design firm called life is carbon. Um, okay. but the, the, they tend to be really interesting in terms of their design. They're also finding photographers in a different way. A lot of the photographers they're working with are people who have had like Tumblr blogs for a long time. You know, and, and sure. so like that was how, you know, if we want to talk about, do you want to print a book or do you want to sh have an exhibition? Right. Why not make a killer Tumblr blog, you know, and, and maybe not post to it every day, but like con have considered posts like every week or every month or something like that. Um, well, and that's also Tumblr is a really great way of, of I've found and it's been written about a lot, is that Tumblr, the Tumblr audience is diehard. And so when you've got these guys that have hundreds of thousands of people that are following them on Tumblr, that's a built-in market. As like a, we were talking about yeah, earlier. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, we're, I think it's different than Facebook. It's different from Instagram. There tends to be, I think anytime you get into the blog space, it's one level beyond the instant one photo share yeah. like thing. And I think Tumblr is a really good, in fact, I was on there last week looking at templates, thinking of maybe that was the direction that I would take my site was onto Tumblr. And then now it's a mess. So it's yeah. always a mess. But anyway, yeah, good point. Yeah. And then one, one other publisher that sort of is related to the, to, you know, design um, is uh, Udi. They're out of London. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's Damien Paulson. I might be saying his, his name incorrectly, his last name. Um, he only prints a few books. They tend to be, um, I think he's from South Africa, so they tend to be South African photographers like Vivian Sasson, Peter Hugo. Um, and he he just completed the last in a series of small zines called Point of View Female. And it was a, it was a regional project, so it, this last one was from Beirut. Okay. And he had five photographer, five female photographers, five different projects, five different books. Each one is designed the same way. Um, and it, it's a, you know, a edition of 100. So again, it sells out very, very quickly. That's my only complaint about that particular series is I think it's really important. Um, and there's not many of them. No. And like within a month they're gone. You yeah. know, we, we have a few here. Um, and that sort of goes back to what I was, the pattern series or how he, he basically created a platform that he mm -hmm. can like plug things into, you know, I'm going to do this over a set number of years 
And then that allows you to then investigate and find, find the artists who sort of fit within that framework, which is interesting. So what is the one thing that you don't have that you either really want or really need? <laughs> um, it can be anything. Related to the business? Yeah, yeah, your, your business. Uh, well, I would, a couple things. I could always use more time. There's, okay. um, there's never enough time in the day. Um, and, you know, it's interesting as, as Alberta Street and Portland, Portland's going through this crazy boom, and Alberta Street is, is, it used to be that, you know, I could come in here and I would sit out front all day and, like, read a book, and nobody would, literally nobody would come in. Yeah. But it also allowed me to, to have the storefront as an office space. Um, so now I'm engaging with people a lot more on a daily basis, which is great, but it eliminates my time to, to, uh, correspond to design, to find new things. So I could always use more time. Um, and secondarily, I think, uh, more sort of considered critical attention for what I'm doing here, Mm -hmm. um, would be great for my business because um, you know there's people that come in and admire what we do but they're I any sort of exhibition space or creative for-profit business um, relies on on a larger critical dialogue okay um, and Portland for one reason or another just doesn't really have that right now and you know there's a lot of eyes on Portland from from other other cities yeah but it tends to be like um, about like a tourist destination or about yeah. the food Foodies. and things like that. But yeah. there's a lot of really remarkable things going on here that aren't like Portlandia and, you know, all the, those things that we sort of take for granted. So, yeah, I think those two things, you know, like people sort of having a critical eye of, of what we're of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that could even mean like literally saying, why did you do that show? It was ridiculous. Or, you know, like you didn't spend, you know, because sometimes I'll put up a show and I feel like people have looked at it, yeah. but I just feel like nobody's even um, fewer, I shouldn't say nobody, but fewer people nowadays are even like uh, comfortable speaking their, their mind. Like yeah. it's almost as if we have to like everything. Well, you know? I think that's, that's a product of being online. I mean, I yeah. remember years ago, probably five years ago now, there was a, a very famous photographer who had done something that you know was kind of on the in the gray area of sort of ethical, ethical things, and someone went on the forum and said he's wrong. You yeah, know, that was wrong. You shouldn't do it. Well, they barred that guy from the forum, and then ultimately shut the forum down. And you know, here it's like this is this is a person who makes his living telling stories around the world, but yet you, we can't talk about that. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I think people are afraid to say, look. Um, I, you know, I'm glad you put this show up. I just don't really, it doesn't appeal to me because they're just mortified as to probably making you feel bad and then being viewed maybe in a negative light. But yeah, I think the, I think really that discussion and the dialogue is really what, what everybody's after here. I mean, is, is to, for people to turn their focus at what you're doing and say, this is how I feel. Yeah. And you know, that dialogue, that's one of the rewarding things about coming here every day is I have incredible conversations every day. That's one of the things that I wish when we have exhibitions, I wish the artist could be here on a daily basis because you know they tend to be here for the opening and they, and of course the dialogue is very supportive. Mm-hmm. It's fun to, you know, if if the artist just happens to pop in and there's sort of this anonymous engagement with people and they get to hear somebody look at the work and make comments. Yeah, it's really powerful. Um, but you know, having having that in, in a printed format would be. 
you know, everybody wants that, I, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. What is, if I come back in five years or, and I say to you, Miles, what is like best case scenario for this place? Would it be the Miles compound in New York City, this towering building of glass and steel about books, or would it be here in Portland? Would it be a larger gallery space? What's the best case scenario for you? Um, I, I think I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm committed to Portland. I feel very fortunate living here. Um, you know, it was, it was sort of by happenstance that I moved here um, eight years ago, uh, but it's exciting to be part of a community where I've, I've sort of laid down a footprint, if, mm -hmm. if you want to call it that, and sort of laid down a position. And it's exciting to have new, new people coming to the city and, and discovering it. Um, you know, I, there, there's always like the desire to grow. I don't think that that necessarily needs to be in terms of space or, you know, presence. Um, I'd, I'd love to increase the sort of dialogue uh, about the books that we do, and I think that that will come with increased distribution, um, larger print runs, you know, things like that. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, continue to work with, with, uh, with great artists and, um, you know, hopefully sell some art here and there. And, um, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I really do. I, I think that, you know, if I look back at the last eight years, I've engaged with so many amazing books. Many of them I didn't keep and now they're, you know, they're out of print. So just the excitement of, of who and what I'll discover in the next five years, you know, it'll be really, really incredible. So. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It was somewhat of a last-minute yeah. uh, last email, and I'm really glad that you were around and did this because I think this information is so valuable to so many of the people that are out there, especially in the world that I'm running around in. It's more of the self-published world. Right. People are starved for this kind of information, and I really appreciate you taking the time to uh Yeah, to no, of, of course. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks.